Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I am Jens of Stoughton. And this is a podcast <laughs> dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So once again, it is Friday, TGIF, if you're listening to this on the day that it drops. Which if you're you should. not, then you should. Yes. it was Friday when this released, which means uh, we are back uh, for our Christians of History episode for the week, and Jensen is going to do us the honor and kindness of talking about Irenaeus, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, or Lyons, or Lyons, or something. So without Depends further ado, take it away. Yeah, that's why I said Jens of Stoughton, because we're talking... I like when someone is, like, known by where they're from. You know, Augustine of Hippo, Irenaeus of Lyon, um, Cyril much of Alexandria. Any, like, ancient person. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's just, like, the way to identify them, I guess. So it's, it's just kind of fun. So, uh, yeah, anyway, um, let's, let's just jump right in. Uh, so Irenaeus of Lyon, I'm just going to call him Irenaeus throughout the rest of the episode, uh, was born around 130 A.D., uh, much like many early people, we don't know the exact date, the exact year, uh, but we do know we do know that he was at least from the region of Smyrna in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Uh, unlike many of his contemporaries, he was brought up in a Christian home rather than converting as an adult. You know, think of Augustine. I mean, obviously he's not a contemporary, but um, you know, a lot of a lot of the early church fathers grew up in just you know. Greek pagan homes or, you know, wherever they found themselves living and converted later. But he had the fortune of growing up in a Christian home. Um, other than that, very little is actually known about his life before and after becoming a uh, bishop. Um, but he st- we do know that he studied uh, especially and specifically in Smyrna um, under Bishop Polycarp. If Polycarp sounds familiar, um, it's, not a, it's not a fish. Uh, he's a man who was an apostle of the apostle, or a disciple, sorry, a disciple of the apostle John, um, who was a disciple of Jesus. Um, So Irenaeus is like two or three steps removed from Christ himself. Um, And so as a direct disciple of the apostle John, Polycarp echoed John's warnings against false teachers. um, And that gets handed down to Irenaeus and gets handed down even further. Um, But uh, during the persecution of Marcus Aurelius, uh, who was the Roman emperor from 161 to 180, uh, Irenaeus was a priest of the Church of Lyon. Uh, the clergy of that city, uh, many of whom actually suffered imprisonment for the faith, um, they had actually sent him in uh, 177 to Rome. So from, from modern-day Turkey to, to modern-day Rome with a letter uh, to give to Pope Eleutherius. I have, I'm just, uh, some of these names we're just going to glide through. Uh, but basically, he sends this letter to the Pope uh, concerning the Harry of um, Monta- Montanism, uh, which I think we've talked about before, maybe here or there. If you don't remember, it's, it's basically um, a belief in kind of like new prophetic revelations and visions. It's, some people say it's similar to some of modern day charismatic theology. Um, but basically, he's, you know, he's writing, taking this letter to Rome, um, much like a lot of the people. I mean, think about Paul. Paul traveled, took letters, gave letters to people, sent them to other places. They didn't have the telephone, couldn't ring up, you know, old pope, old, the old pope here and uh, tell him about it. So he's taking a letter, 
But while he's in Rome, so while Irenaeus is traveling, uh, persecution took place in Lyon. So in AD 177, uh, the people um, in Lyon, which is the capital of Gaul um, in modern-day France, uh, basically they were going after the, the, the city's Christians. It had been a, a really trying and, and difficult time for the people of southern Gaul um, who had been suffering with um, enemy raids and a deadly plague, much like 2021 America. Uh, to those who hadn't embraced Christ, uh, the Christians' refusal to worship pagan deities seemed to be at least a, a credible explanation to the gods' fury. So you just have to imagine, you know, living in this day, um, you have enemies raiding you on the left and right, uh, and then you have a deadly plague sweeping through your area. Um, you're going to try to find an explanation somewhere. And so it must be the Christians who aren't, you know, sacrificing to the gods, appeasing their fury. Um, and so long existing prejudices escalated into a full-scale riot in the city of Lyon, um, especially there. Um, so residents assaulted Christians, they dragged them into the public squares. Um, some were even cruelly executed in public arenas, while others, um, like Pothinus, uh, the bishop of Lyon, died in prison. Uh, so lots of persecutions happening. Um, Irenaeus is in Rome. Uh, the bishop of the church is in prison. He happens to die. And so returning, Irenaeus actually took over for St. Pothinus uh, and became the second bishop of Lyon. Um, so that's, you know, eventually he became a bishop of the city. Um, when he returned, though, he, he was facing uh, a lot of questions and they were pretty urgent, pretty complex. Uh, because while the faith of some survivors had been strengthened through the persecution, Many others were actually wearied by the struggle, which, make, which makes sense. Throughout church history, when, when persecution, when, when suffering arises, there are those who are emboldened and there are those who sort of, um, you know, will cave under the pressure. Um, but really the, the taunts of their, of their fellow citizens, uh, you know, questioning um, where their God was, they, it was all sort of fresh in their minds. And so... Um, beyond the threat of violence from those who who still followed traditional Roman beliefs, uh, Irenaeus had to address heresy within within the church, just like much of the early church. But in the wake of this tragedy, um, you know everything that's going on, the temptation for Christians to fall into Gnostic teachings was really great. And and we've had back in October when we talked about um, heresy, we had specifically a Heresy Month. Um, we talked about Gnosticism, um, and so if you wanted to get like a full-scale picture of what that is, you can go check it out there. Um, but really, it, it, Gnosticism in its many forms encouraged people to look for higher knowledge and a more sophisticated understanding of Christian belief um, than what the apostles and, and local churches could offer. So you have to imagine, you know, the lots going on in the world. You have uh, persecution. You have, you know, people getting round up and, and taken to the, the public arena and executed. Um, it seems like your churches aren't doing what you think they should be doing. And so Gnosticism seems pretty appealing um, to find this higher knowledge, to understand maybe to a greater degree why these things are happening. Um, and so that it was, a, it was a real temptation. And so um, almost all of his writings that we have, the ones that we know about, uh, are, were directed against Gnosticism specifically. I mean, it just sort of makes sense. The most famous of these writings is called Adversus Heresies, um, Against Heresies. I'm pretty sure, I don't, I feel like we've mentioned that 
maybe once or twice before. Um, does does the popular patristics have that? I'm trying to remember if if they do. I should have looked, but I don't know off the top of my head. I I do know if you get collections of like the the apostolic fathers, it's usually in there. I think or selections of it maybe i'm I'm not sure exactly i've i've seen it in a couple different like collections before mm. I, i'm i don't know about um like other more you know standalone versions of it okay. that have been printed but it's not difficult to find in english it's just um it might not necessarily look as pretty on a shelf right as, <laughs> as we might want <laughs> right um and i'm sure we could find you could find it easily online in a pdf because i mean it's public domain and old you know mo- most of those things you can find pretty easily online yeah. if if not in a book form very nice well i, I so <laughs> there's a lot that could be said about but but irenaeus here or irenaeus um it's 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 interesting because we we don't know a lot a lot of what we do know comes from just his his writings and what we can understand um you know whether it's biographically or just understanding what he's writing against um, but Irenaeus, as a student of Polycarp, um, believed that he was interpreting scripture in the same hermeneutic as the impo- as the apostles. Um, so basically what this means is um, because Irenaeus was a student of Polycarp and because Polycarp was a student of John and John was a student of Jesus, um, there was this belief and this tradition that it was, you know, continually passed down from bishop to bishop to bishop and, and in some sense even to this day. Um, and so he... he this connection to Jesus um, was important to him. Um, really, it, I mean, because it was important to, to I mean, bishops in general, but it, he, he used it um, against the Gnostics. And really, I mean, because Irenaeus and the Gnostics were basing their arguments in scripture, um, Irenaeus was able to argue that since he could trace his authority to Jesus and the Gnostics could not, his interpretation of scripture was correct. And this is just getting you know, pretty deep. And, and we, we, you can even see this today when you think of like people like Benny Hinn or uh, Joel Osteen, you know, these people that are in charismatic word of faith, um, you know, prosperity circles, they stand up there with a Bible. They uh, even Jehovah's Witnesses use a version of what we call the Bible um, does not mean that they're teaching correct biblical doctrine. Um, and so uh, because he was a student of Polycarp, who was again, student of John, student of Jesus, he used that lineage to base his argument that his interpretation, that the church's interpretation of scripture was indeed correct. Um, some more, I guess, like just interesting and, and unusual facts. Um, before um, before Irenaeus, Christians actually differed as to which gospel they preferred. So you have to remember, this is before a canon had been officially like collected and, and, and established. Um, apparently, Christians of Asia Minor preferred the gospel of John. Uh, maybe not surprising. Um, the Gospel of Matthew was seemingly the most popular overall, um, but Irenaeus asserted that gos- uh, the Gospels, um, all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were canonical scripture. So uh, Irenaeus is actually the earliest witness that we have um, to the assertion of the four canonical Gospels. Um, and again, you have to imagine there were other quote-unquote Gospels, you know, Gospel of Thomas and some others that were circulating. Um, so to have somebody this early somebody this close to Jesus, um, this close to the apostles, um, sort of establishing, you know, a a canonical structure, at least for the gospels, um, is a pretty interesting feature. 
Um, and it's possible that even his collection was a reaction to uh, Marcion's edited versions of Luke, um, which Marcion asserted was the one and only true gospel, I guess. But but yeah, as I, as I said, we we don't know a ton about his life. We we even don't know a ton about his life after he became bishop, other than what we can learn from his writings. Um, but at, at the end of the day, uh, it is believed by some at least that Irenaeus died as a martyr in 202 or 203 during the persecution that was unleashed uh, by Emperor uh, Septimius Severus, not to be confused with Severus Snape, though they probably are distant cousins in the very least. But uh, there is no solid proof of this. It's it's um, sort of, I guess, kind of like learned and inferred from some different places. Jerome mentioned something about it a few hundred years later. Um, but really, his his legacy lived on. I mean, we still talk about him to this day. We still have uh, many of his writings. Uh, so from a purely historic point of view, um, Against Heresies is still considered the best analysis of Gnosticism from an eyewitness. Um, so again, you have to remember that the people who would have been Gnostics and the, per- the people who weren't, the people who were Christians, um, you know, maybe the Gnostic writing still survives a little bit to this day. I mean, we still have some even Gnostic tendencies in, in some more fringe groups, but um, r- really this, I mean, to, to have to have an eyewitness, to have somebody who, who lived in the, the thick of this, so to speak, and to have um, such clear and, and poignant writings is, is, is pretty incredible. It's one of those feats of history that, I mean, you have to wonder like how these things get preserved, how they get handed down. Um, but it's, I think, a testament to um, the importance of against heresies, the importance that um, combating heresy when necessary. Um, some, it was actually kind of funny. As I was preparing this, I was wrapping up and I was I was talking to my wife. Um, I this is completely off script, but it, it relates. I I was thinking like, how many people? were burned at the stake by Christians that were labeled as like heretics, for example, um, who weren't actually, well, what I'm trying to say is like, I have a feeling that there are people today that if they had been living a couple hundred years ago, a few hundred years ago, that they would have been labeled heretic and would have been burned at the stake when they're nothing more than maybe just like more quote unquote liberal theologically. I don't know if like you want to interject anything there, Lucas. Forget, forget. I mean, You'd be burned at the stake anywhere in Europe for, or you'd just be drowned for, for believing in believer's baptism. Right. So that's what I mean. It's just like, it's an interesting thing of history how, how you know, obviously, you know, as a martyr, he wasn't killed by Christians. He was probably killed by, you know, Rome or someone in Turkey or whatever. Um, but to combat heresy is what I'm trying to get at is like the different ways that the church has fought history, you know, whether in writing or by the sword. Um, I think it's a it's an important thing, obviously, to talk about history, mm. to learn why history is is bad, or why heresy is bad, and why uh, why it can be so detrimental to um, orthodoxy, to the the faith of believers. And um, I guess a a way of like application or why Irenaeus matters, um, you know, he again he stands in a line that is very close to to Christ, a line that has continued to be passed down to this day, and it's it's a um, I don't know. I think it's one of those cool things about the church that we, I don't know. I think that sets us apart in a sense away from even the rest of the world. Like how many, 
how many heritages, how many things can trace itself back 2,000 plus years um, to a single point in history. I mean, I, I, it, it's just pretty incredible. I mean, you think of like even like a, a royal line in some, you know, king or queen, like even that you can't even trace that far back. So um, it's it's pretty cool that we're able to to do that. But anyway, and now I'm just rambling. So why don't you just like take the mic for me? <laughs> well, Irenaeus is definitely a really important and fascinating figure, and um, it's fun to talk about. So thank you for uh, talking about him, and thank you, dear listeners, uh, so much for listening to today's episode of the Doxology Podcast. As always, if you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast, and you can shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, any questions you have for us about today's topic or us personally or some other episode we've done in the past. Um, And especially, especially ideas for future episodes that you'd like to hear us talk about. We'd love to hear from you no matter what you have on your mind. And whether we do or not, we will catch you in the next episode on Tuesday. See ya.